0: How a mess can become a message. That's the series that we're in the middle of, and today we're talking about shame. Now that's a mess. We all have these negative self-talk loops that we have in our, in our heads. How can God make a message out of that mess, because that mess is a message? Well, the answer we're going to see this morning is confession from God's Word. Genesis chapter 3, the account of the fall. Hear God's word this morning. Would you open your Bibles, if you have one, and take a look at the screens? Encourage you to bring your Bibles, make notes in it as we go. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. By the sweat, now verse 19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For your dust, And to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins to clothe them. Let's pray together. Holy God, we we need your voice in our head, our lives this morning. So speak, O Lord, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there you were in your car at a stoplight, and the windows were down, and you were belting it out. You were just singing really loudly, you know, and you sounded a little like Pavarotti or maybe Taylor Swift in your own head, and then out of the corner of your eye, with your windows down, you started to realize that there was somebody next to you, and then you recognized that they also had their windows down, and then you could see that the children in the back seat were giggling. Now, that that flush that you feel in that moment is called embarrassment. It's just, you know, it's something superficial. It's fleeting. It stems from something socially awkward. Shame is different. Shame goes deep. Shame is a result not just of something social, but moral. Shame is a feeling of separation from God, people, or even separation from yourself because of something that's broken. However, shame itself is broken. Shame is part of our brokenness, it's an unhealthy voice. Yesterday, my wife called it stinking thinking. Probably heard that. Guilt is different from shame. Guilt is like the rumble strips on the edge of the highway, you know those rumble strips that say hey, get back on get back in lane buddy, you know? You've gone over the line. That's guilt. It sort of steers us back between the lines. But shame is like a rut outside of the lines that can pull you into a ditch. That's shame. Kirk Thompson has studied shame for For many years as a medical doctor, he traces it back to the Garden of Eden. Before the fall, relationships had clear lines. After the fall, we've lost our bearings on where I stop and where you start. And shame is the feeling that when we cross the line, we want to leave the road altogether and go hide in a garage, right? That's shame. But God provides a simple practice to remedy this broken thought loop. It's an overreaction, but we have a a call on our lives to be part of robust relationships, to be bold and to be vulnerable before each other, to be God's co-creators with the garden, to, to take what he's given us and to go for it. Like, like the way an artist puts paint on a canvas, just puts it up there with that gift. You know, you think, gosh, how do they know? I don't even see what's taking shape, and then it takes shape. I mean, that's what he's created us to be, bold and, and vulnerable. Shame takes us out of that posture. You know, Irenaeus, one of the early voices of the church, said that the glory of God is a person fully alive. That's what we're created to be, bold and vulnerable, fully alive. Shame would take you out of that posture. Confession is the way to remedy that problem of shame. Confession opens, even in and of itself, confession opens lines of communication. And so this morning, as shame holds us back and separates us from a lesser life, a lesser view of ourselves, confession invites us back to put life on life together again, your life together again, your voices united again, your relationships, your relationship with God and each other. Confession invites us back to an abundant life. So here's how we're going to explore it. Shame. Shame is a lie that separates. Confession is a truth that heals. We're going to unpack that sentence. Shame is a lie that separates. Confession is a truth that heals. First, shame is a lie. Shame is a lie. We're not talking about the separates part so much yet. But shame is a lie. Shame. Shame is a lie, and in some sense, it's, it, it's, it, we're talking about separating. It's a lie that says, you're on your own. That's the lie. Shame says, you're on your own. You made a mistake, you're on your own. When we go off on our own with, without God, as, as we are tempted to do, thinking that life is is apart from God, that that when we design it ourselves, we can find more of what, that, that God is really holding back when we believe that lie. then. Another lie kicks in and says, yeah, you made a mistake. You're on your own. That feeling of being on your own, that's the first part of shame. That's shame. It starts with verse 3. You can see in verse 3 where Eve begins to believe something that's just suggested to her by evil. Did God really say? Did he really say? are you, shall you surely die? And, and Eve begins to, she, she begins to pile on to that lie. She begins to, and, and, and then and then almost immediately when she buys into it, and then when she acts upon that lie, shame kicks in, that she's not only helpless and separate and on her own, but hopeless. See, Satan is suggesting that life is found apart from God. Greater life, greater promise, more fulfillment, more abundance apart from God. That God is sort of holding back from us. And Eve says, she starts to, do you hear the pouting in her voice when she says, Yeah, that's right. We're not even supposed to touch it, you know? We're not even supposed to touch the fruit. We're not supposed to eat of the fruit. He says, you can eat of all this other, but I just, I just want to just this one place. Don't eat that. And she says, we're not even supposed to touch it. You hear that? She's beginning to let in the lie that greater life is found apart from God. Like God is withholding something from us. She's seeking autonomy. And as as soon as she finds it, shame kicks in. It turns. And you experience that separation. And you experience it as abandonment. I've sought life, greater life apart from God. I've experienced this feeling of separation and we experience it as abandonment. Well, see, that's a distortion. We're the ones who stepped away and then we turn, we blame God. We feel a sense of hopelessness. Let's see, this experience, this feeling of abandonment This is why Jesus prayed on on the cross. He cried out, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A lot of people are troubled by that. But don't you see that Jesus puts on our shame? He experiences it the way we experience it. He actually experiences separation from God. And he experiences it as abandonment, because he took our shame. He put it onto himself. He took it on. You say, well, how does shame make us feel hopeless? I mean, where does that come from? And what exactly is the message of shame that makes us feel hopeless? What's it saying about us? What is the lie saying about us that makes us feel hopeless? Well, shame is a lie that separates because it says uh, not only did you make a mistake, you are a mistake. Shame distorts your identity. It says you didn't just make a mistake. You are a mistake. You didn't just blunder, you're a blunder. You're not just grumbling, you're a grumble. The power of shame is that it defines our identity by our mistakes. Notice uh, when people feel ashamed, what do they do? What do they do? When somebody feels ashamed, what do they do? What do they do? Think about it. What do they do? What's the first thing they do? They look down. They look away. They kind of hide their face. They bury their head. They're trying to hide. Adam said, I hid in the garden because I was afraid. I heard you walking in the garden, and I hid because I was afraid notice how Adam doesn't even fully understand what's happening to him. He doesn't understand his fear. He doesn't understand what fear is doing to him. It's defining him now. He's hiding him. his entire body, his, his entire existence. He's trying to hide it from God. He's separating himself from God. That very feeling drives him to hide, drives him further away. He's defining himself by his Mistake. I experienced this one time when I was about five or six years old. I've certainly experienced it since then, but I remember the first time I experienced this. I was uh, up at a camp in northern Wisconsin where my, my family used to go. Uh, Sunset Shores, a beautiful place and camp that, uh, that some, some family members, some friends of family members owned. And we would go up there in the summer times for a week or two when I was very young, and uh, it was it was family camp, so it wasn't like the regular, you didn't have the regular staff and all that, so there was sort of an honor system when it came to the snack bar. There's an honor system. There was a one of those colorful cardboard cigar boxes on the, the top of the counter, Right, right on the other side of the counter was all this candy. Now, for some reason, five or six years old, the candy did not interest me. I don't know why, but but all of the change in that cigar box did, <laughs> and I I took a big scoop of it and I put it in my pants. You know, I, I had I, I put it in my pocket. And I had those like we used to call them uh, camper pants or something. like that. They had a little hook on them. You know, it felt like, more like gear than, than clothing. You know, you loved it when you were a little kid. But they were longer, and the the pocket went way down. So when I walked, it went cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. So I'm walking down. And, you know, my dad asks the obvious question. What's that in your pocket? What does you have in your little pocketses, you know? it didn't sound like Gollum, but maybe, you know, <laughs> what does it have in its pockets? And, and I says, um, I says, no, it's all, now, I'm, I'm, now I can't get Gollum out of my head. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Turned into Gollum up here. Um, so I, I say, uh, yeah, it's just changed. And he said, well, where did you get it? You know, I told him the story. He said, well... You're not supposed to have that. That's not that's not yours. You need to give it back to the camp director. Ugh. yeah. I was so proud when I walked cha-ching. was like ah, oh, I love this cha-ching. It's <laughs> so awesome. And then I had to go up to the lodge, and there were all of these rockers on the the front of that that porch there. And as I walked up the steps, I was walking towards the director. It. It was like, cha-ching, and now I thought that everybody could see me naked. Like, that cha-ching was no longer just a source of pride and of enjoyment. It was just shame, shame. We're not nice to ourselves, you know, when we're, when we're saying that. The camp director was so so kind, so sweet still remember that. But we're not kind to ourselves. You see, the very thing that was a source of pleasure now flipped and now became a source of shame. See, guilt is, is, is healthy. It's a part of our conscience, those rumble strips that steer us back to seeing where I stop and you start. It says I made a mistake, but shame distorts that message. It says you are a mistake. It says I am a mistake. I am a blunder. That's what shame says. Now, shaming has been on the rise in the United States. We're not a, an honor and shame culture, but in the last few years, we've seen an increasing amount of shame being used to control people. People have been canceled for refusing to let go of their sense of humor. Think about that. For saying something just the wrong way that five minutes ago was the way we always said it. For not towing the party line. Suddenly... That person now, and this is the ironic thing, in trying to get them to treat people better, those people get treated like a thing. They get shamed. It's very unhealthy. Instead of having the conversation, instead of saying, hey, I see it this way and you see it that way, hey, instead of giving somebody a second chance, they, they really made a mistake and we, were, we expect that, that there's going to be a correction here. We're using shame to turn people into objects so that our agenda, our narrative can win over somebody else's narrative. That's shame. Saying that they are a mistake. So we hide like Adam. We don't want to be in that, those crosshairs. We hide like Adam and we project the, 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 the correct version of ourselves that, that, that's going to win with whatever audience we're in. And we whittle ourselves away into something we're not. We exaggerate or we make excuses for ourselves. We put on a false front and we believe the lie that says, don't, don't be your real self. Don't be your true self. Nobody wants to see that. And besides, if they reject you, they're not rejecting the real you. And we get into that pattern. So how do we overcome this influence of shame? And confession is the way. Confession. So shame is a lie that separates. Confession is a truth that heals. Confession is a truth that heals. Confession first, confession is a truth. It's a truth. It's a truth that robs the lie of its power. It's truth. There's power in shame. I just demonstrated it. The cancel culture. But confession is a truth that robs the lie of its power. Who told you you were naked? Somehow I missed that, um, that, that part of the, the verse. I'm sorry, but uh, later on in that, that passage, it says, uh, God says to Adam, this is pivotal, who told you you were naked? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that amazing how, much, how Adam is confessing so much more than he thought he was? He's saying, I was afraid. He's confessing, but what comes out so much more than he intended? A confession is a powerful gift to you. You know, when you confess so much, you're, you're, you're naming something, you're naming a feeling, you're naming an event, but then you begin to draw out what you didn't even know was there, the sin under the sin, the motivation of why you did that thing, why you're hiding. And somebody asks if you, if you finished that thing, and you say, oh yeah, I almost finished. But what's under that? Why? Why are you lying? Not that you lied, but why? Why, why do you have to project? Why can't you be true, truthful? And when you confess it, Oh, so much more comes out. Adam confessed more than he intended to confess. In other words, how would you know? God is saying, how would you know you were naked unless, unless you betrayed what I said, unless you went against what I, I said? Don't eat that tree. He confessed a feeling, but he exposed the reality. And God draws it out as part of our healing. He exposes it. When we expose it, it robs the lie of life apart from God, of its power. It's like, uh, it, it's like the advice that, that I think every elementary school teacher gets. And that advice is that, that when, when a student is a- acting up in class, you can take the power away from that by telling them, just name it, what's going on. Oh, Jimmy, I, I see you tapping your pencil. And you're getting a lot of attention, aren't you? I see you tapping that pencil. And people are giggling, but now that we all know that that's why you're doing it, I doubt it's going to be that funny to the people who are trying to learn something about geography this morning. The, The teacher names it, and the power drains out of that moment of seeking my own will, my own way. That's the power of confession. Naming it, naming it begins put us back into relationship again. Now, you, you may wonder, how does confession really heal relationship? I mean, naming it takes the power away, yeah. Uh, naming it begins to draw out more than we thought was there, yes, that's true. But how does it actually heal? Well, confession is a, a truth that heals relationships because it begins to reintroduce us to ourselves. The selves that are bigger than our mistakes. That there's something truer about you than the things you're doing wrong, even in a pattern. There's something truer about you than the identity that you would try to create even for yourself. I love that, that scene in, in Blood Diamond where the father, this father is looking for his son who's been abducted, young son, been abducted. And these, um, these rebel soldiers have turned his boy into a soldier. And, um, and they, they make him into a soldier. They make him become a soldier. And in the scene, the boy, uh, they discover the boy, he and, and another guy are looking for him. And all of a sudden, when they realize uh, that he's there, he's already pointing a pistol at his father. And this is what he says. This is the dialogue from that scene. His name is Dia. He says, Dia, what are you doing? Dia, look at me. You are Dia Vendi of the proud Mendi tribe. You're a good boy who loves soccer and school. He's looking at him like this, looking right past the barrel. He says, your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains. The red palm oil stew with your sister, Nayana, and the new baby waits. The cows wait for you, and Babu, the wild dog, who minds no one but you. I know they made you do bad things, but I am your father who loves you. And you will come home with me and be my son again. That's what God is saying to us through the the power of confession. Here's a, a father confessing for his son. He's naming what's happened. He's robbing it of his power, but he's reminding the boy that there's something truer about him than even the identity that he has put on. More than, than what's happened, he reminds the boy who he is and that there's something truer about him. See, when God looks at you, what do you think he sees? Why does he see you now as you are going to become? Why is that? On what basis? Can he look at you and say, I see who you're going to be. I don't see who you are right now. I see who you're becoming. Why does he want to speak that into us? Look at verse 21. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Here's how Paul connects it in Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Karl Barth comments on this verse saying, in virtue of baptism, you have put him on like a garment. You know how Jesus put on our shame? You know how God sacrificed animals? There was blood in the garden so that humanity could be clothed again so that shame could be covered so that God could see the potential of humanity again Hebrews 22 922 that Tyler read earlier says this there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood is there really a link here between the sacrifice and covering of the garden and the covering of Christ is there really a link between the the skins in the garden and the Christ uh, who covers us in the old testament The Messiah, the anointed one, was a figure who was a king who represented the whole. When Adam and Eve broke covenant with God, broke relationship with God, that flooded sin into humanity, into our blood. The Old Testament has this mysterious figure that's coming. Isaiah talks all about it. (laughs) You know, no. Order of Melchizedek, there are all kinds of, of, of hints of what the Messiah will be, but the but one thing is for sure, it will be a king who represents the whole of the people. So what difference does that make to you now? You may wonder. Jesus died once for all. He represents us. Well, there is a not yet part of you. There isn't already. There's a not yet part of you and we feel that and we often talk to ourselves about it in shameful ways, in shaming ways. But there's an already part of us and God is speaking to you the way the father was speaking to his son, calling you up saying, I see you this way. I see you this way. Parents know the power of this kind of encouragement. Kids become who they believe you think they are. What they think you think about them That's what they become. Listen to this. If a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. But if a child lives with encouragement, he learns confidence. If a child lives with praise, he learns to appreciate. If a child lives with approval, he learns to like himself. Shame is a lie that separates. Confession is a truth that heals. So this morning, let's close with this. Confession offers a couple ways, to a bigger identity. Our culture offers us denial. It says you, you just decide for yourself what's right and wrong. Just ignore anything that, that's bothering you about your conscience. Invite your own self. I don't think that glossing over is working very well for us because the gospel says something better. It says there's something truer about you than whatever you draw a circle around and say, God can't help me with that. Something truer about you. The second, confession helps us become what God already sees in us. And some of you need to confess that you've been unkind to yourself. That's the confession you need to make. Some of you need to confess the things that you've just simply done wrong or, or, or left undone. Some of you, though, need to confess that you have not fully believed what God has done for you. That You need to confess that you don't really believe that God sees what you're becoming so that you can become more of it now. You can embrace more of the already and not be wallowing in the not yet. In a minute, you're going to have a chance to confess. We're going to close with a song. As a band comes out right now, they're going to begin to lead us in a song. And and what we're going to do is we're just going to sit and we're going to enjoy. We're going to sing that together. And then uh, Brian is going to lead us in a time of confession.